Let me begin by asking you this. Have you ever seen other people make stupid choices? Don't, I, I, I said that last hour when I asked that somebody like point, raise their hand. Don't, don't point at anybody. I, that's not the point here. Have you ever seen someone make stupid choices and you wonder, what in the world? You know what I'm saying? Like, what, what, what were you thinking? What was, what was that? Or maybe have you better about yourself when you see other people's messed up story? That's terrible. But you ever look at somebody and say, boy, look at that person. I would never. You, ever, you know, it's the kind of people who go to, they like to go to the mall just to watch people and feel better about themselves. Or you just go someplace and you read stories and you see people and you're like, they're nuts. I feel really good about me when I see the rest of my family or my neighbors or my friends or people I know or read about. I'm, I'm doing pretty good. and feel good about yourself because others are so messed up. Or perhaps... Have you ever been the opposite? Have you ever felt discouraged, discouraged about yourself? Because you think to yourself, if those people blew it along the way, what hope do I have, right? I used to be that way. I remember when I was a young pastor, and I've said this before, but I remember as a young pastor watching so many people I knew in church leadership positions, ministry people, um, who along the way just um, wrecked themselves and their, their ministries and their, their lives and their families. And, and then, you, of course, you read Bible stories of people who are supposed to be pretty epic, and they messed up pretty bad, too. Between the Bible stories and the people in my line of work that I saw do things that I shake my head at, I would think to myself as a young pastor, if they didn't make it, what hope do I have? Like, I'm bound to just wreck everything before it's over because I'm not that good of a guy. compared. I mean, I'm in trouble, you know? So have you ever been in this spot where you see other people's stories and think, can I, can I make it through this, this race of life without a tragedy or two along the way of my own making? Or maybe you're the opposite and you say, I would never people these, fools these days, not me. Wherever you are on the spectrum when you see the mess of people's lives around you in the past or even in your present, I want to talk about that before we're done today just a little bit. But first we're going to pivot and remind you that, to, that we've been in a sermon series for the last this calendar year, on the topic of the books. Because that's what the word Bible means. The Bible word Bible means books. Because the Bible is actually two large collections of books bound together. Um, and all those collections are, these two collections, all these books are called the books or the Bible. And the first collection is the Hebrew scriptures and the second collection is the Christian scriptures. And we've discussed that over the last many weeks. The Christian scriptures are the story of Jesus they're the, the story of, of the, the good news or the gospel. They're the story of the early church that took off in the name of Jesus. And then the, Christ, the Hebrew scriptures are the story of a nation. They're the story of the nation of Israel specifically, of its kings and its laws and its freedom from slavery and its founding and its, its, uh, its laws to govern its, its kings and its rulers and its prophets and its, just its story. So these two books are, are unique in their focal points, the story of a nation, and then the story of, that relates to us today, the Christian story in the Christian scriptures. And they're all bound together in one giant binding we call the Bible or the books. And so we've been studying that the past uh, several weeks, and we kind of started with the Hebrew scriptures because they come first chronologically looking through those stories. Now, 
We're going to pivot a little bit today. I just want to briefly mention this. Uh, we were kind of flying through these books, and that was going to, uh, and then I kind of slowed down because I got stuck in Genesis for a while. And now I'm going to just fly through the next few books. But there's so many good stories in the next section. Because in the next section, after the Israelites are taken out of slavery, they end up in a wilderness where they're supposed to be in a, for a short time, and they end up being there for like decades, decades. And there's so many interesting stories there, I don't want to fly past them all. So I was going to just tell you about the law last week. We discussed the law last week. And I was going to discuss the um, kind of the other stories this week, but there's too many good things to just, I, I tried to do it in one week, and I practiced it this week, and it took too long, and we don't have that kind of time today. So we're going to take a couple weeks or so, a few weeks, I don't know, uh, after Easter. We're going to pause and after Easter, we're going to come back and talk about those adventures a little bit because they're interesting. And if you want to know why we're going to discuss them, that's what we'll discuss today. Because you might be wondering when you look at these words and you, you, you've been hearing us say that the Bible is a two collections of books, the Hebrew scriptures, which is their story as a nation, the Christian scriptures, which is the story of Jesus and the church. You might look at that and say, Arlen, why do I even care about the Hebrew story? Why do I care about the Hebrew scriptures? I mean, it's not my story. Uh, it's, not, it's not my thing. What, what purpose does the Hebrew Scriptures serve me? Why would I care about their story? I'm not a Jewish person, okay? I don't practice their festivals. I don't practice Sukkot. I don't do all their things. That's not part of my life. It's not, their holidays are not my holidays. I don't care. Arlen, I know that you like history. You like U.S. history. I kind of care about a little bit of that maybe, but I sure don't care about other parts. Like I don't care about China history or India history or other histories. Why would I care about Hebrew history? It's not my story, not my holidays, not my nation, not my uh, government, not my laws. So why does it matter to me? Especially last week when we talked about the, the laws that God gave these newly freed slaves to govern their nation and how that none of us today live by those laws and we just don't. We talked about, talked about that at length. And yet, um, and we, we weaponize them sometimes to make points at other people, which is a whole bad pitfall. But, but it's, it was their nation and their laws established to guide them in a covenant God gave them uh, as a nation, which we call the Old Testament or Old Covenant or Hebrew Scriptures now. So why do I care about their story? Because it's not my people. And the reason that we care a little bit about them, and, and there's an obvious reason that I've shared before, but I'm going to give you a specific reason today. One reason we care about their story is because it is the backstory of Jesus. And Jesus matters a whole lot to us. He came into this world as the promised son of God, a savior who, who uh, demonstrated the gospel or the good news that God is love, demonstrated through the death for our sins and forgiveness for our sins and the resurrection to show that, that sin's consequences are broken, that life goes on. The gospel's a big deal and Jesus came to show us that. And he was born into a family of people who were Jewish. It was their nationality. It was their nation. And he was prophesied that he was be born way back as we saw weeks ago when Abraham, ancient Abraham from 4,000 years ago, was told that God was going to do something special, not just to create a physical nation that he created in Israel, but also to spiritually bless the world through a coming Messiah. And from that point on, a lot of things pointed ahead to a coming Messiah. And, and predictions were made, and pro, we call them prophecies were fulfilled before he even arrived. And then when Jesus was, was born in the book of Matthew, it says over and over again, these things happen as a fulfillment of a prophecy from the Hebrew scriptures. So as people who follow and, and follow Jesus, that's who we are, Jesus followers, as Christians, no matter what our race or, or background or is, 
The backstory of where Jesus came from and all these scriptures that pointed to him are of interest to us, even though the national story is not our national story. So that's one reason why we care. But there's another reason I want to point out today why the Hebrew scriptures hold some precedent or interest to us and why we should be interested in them. And that's going to come from telling you we're going, to, we're going to walk away today from the Hebrew Scriptures and go to the Christian Scriptures. And we're going to read a section, and then we're going to stay away from the Hebrew Scriptures till after Easter and come back to those stories in a few weeks. But to, to explain why it matters, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture in the New Testament, or the Christian Scriptures, that the um, Apostle Paul writes about. And if you appreciate the context, it will help you understand what I'm trying to say. So when Jesus died and rose again, he told his followers to spread the good news to the whole world, to every nation, every race, all people. Was that just a Jewish thing? It was a world thing. The problem was, when he did that, that the, they began to spread the gospel, but they kind of kept it in their own city and in their own nation. And so God lights a fire of persecution to scatter them abroad. And, and before long, people everywhere are hearing about God's love and Jesus' sacrifice to show us the, the, the heart and path to God. And as they did, God raised up a man named Paul who became a believer. And Paul was very well educated, like Moses was, by the way, in a lot of ways. And um, had a, a kind of rough past early in his faith, in his journey, kind of like Moses did with, with an, uh, a bad event. But now he was following Christ. And he was being a missionary wherever he went, preaching the hope that we have eternally in Jesus. Well, wherever he went, people would believe and he would go to the Jewish people because Jewish people were scattered everywhere. If you were to back up before Paul's time, back into the Hebrew scriptures, there's a time when the nation of Israel as a kingdom is divided into two and then each half loses its freedom to captivity. So they're scattered all over the cities of the surrounding countries all around them through these captivity years and many of them never came back home when those days were over and some even scattered further away and kind of just, there was Jewish people all over the place. And in those cities, the Jewish people who had settled there would build synagogues where they would have a house to worship, but also a, a building to do commerce within the city. It was a very much a multi-purpose building. And they would do that wherever they went. And so when Paul would go spring the message of Jesus to all these non-Jewish cities, he'd first find the Jewish people there in their synagogue, tell them about what Jesus did, about God's love for them. And some of them would believe the message, and others of them would, would not believe it. Many would not believe it. Kind of like today, the majority of people in the world, I mean, a lot of people believe, but a lot more don't. And so many of the Jews would believe. And then Paul would say to them, I'm not just here for you. I'm here for all the non-Jewish people. This is not a, a, a thing for one special group of people. This is for the entire world. So he would tell all the other people, the Jews referred to other people as Gentiles. He'd tell all the Gentiles the same message of God's love. And they were glad to hear, and they would believe, many of them, but some would not. And they would start to gather in their newfound faith in Christ. They would gather wherever they could. They would assemble or form what they call churches or assemblies. And those assemblies or those churches would meet wherever they could. If they had access to the synagogue on friendly terms, they'd use the synagogue. If they, if they didn't, they'd meet in a house or even down by the river somewhere. Any place they could go, they, it, it, the location didn't matter. It was a gathering or assembly of people to worship around their faith in Jesus Christ. But even though these Jews and other races of people shared a common faith in Christ, the Jewish believers struggled because the non-Jewish believers 
though they had a common faith with them now, their culture was different. And boy, cultural practices can rub us. Some of, some of you know what I'm talking about. You get, we, we, get, we can mix our cultural views so easily with our faith if we're not careful. We can mix our, kind of we do our, our nationalism with our faith sometimes and turn it into this whole ominous thing it should never be. And, um, you know, so the people who are Jewish are like, these people who are coming to faith in Christ who are not Jewish, their culture bothers me, and I don't like it, and so we need to convert them into being good Jews for them to really be in. And so this whole debacle takes place where the early church has to assemble and say, look, that's not what this is about. We, we who are raised in the Jewish faith don't even keep all that stuff. We certainly can't try and make everybody else who wasn't raised in our background to be like, we're not looking for uniformity, we're looking for unity in the gospel. So let's stop that. And they had to write letters in Acts 15 to the, to the Jewish believers in these cities and say, stop trying to change everyone else to be like you. Just celebrate your common faith in Christ. But then they would tell the Gentiles, those non-Jewish people in those cities, hey, the Jewish people who are there, their kind of religious background, and Jesus kind of came through you know, their lineage, so it kind of feels very personal with the back prophecies. And, and they're trying, but you're, you're so different. They got to chill out, but you can help them by abstaining from a few key things that are extra difficult and find some, find some unity in the gathering. Not uniformity, but unity, because your faith is in Christ. So the, the, the letters were written to kind of get everyone to settle down. And you should read that story. It's in Acts 15. It's phenomenal. But Paul began to go to these places. And one place that Paul went to was a city called Corinth. And Corinth was a very interesting place. A lot of people became believers, but it was a rough church gathering. It was a rough gathering of believers. Some Jewish believers and many non-Jewish believers, people who lived in Corinth who were, who were Greek or many Greeks there and other kinds of, of people were all gathered in Corinth. And these different nationalities who lived in this port city are there. And in the middle of all that, Paul has to write letters to Corinth to try and straighten out the mess there multiple times. He writes one letter to them saying, listen, um, and he, the longest letter in the Christian scriptures is Paul's letter to Corinth. And like the second longest letter, well, third longest letter, is his second letter to Corinth. And he actually writes a third letter to Corinth. It's not even in our Bibles, but you can find it. It's still out there today. That you can read it for yourself. Um, it's just a really interesting place. And Paul writes to them, again, probably the majority of the, of the believers here are not even Jewish, but some are. Paul was. And he writes a letter to them to talk about their relationship to the Hebrew scriptures, even if they weren't Hebrew people. And he talks specifically about the section that we left off at. The part where the Israelites were coming out of Egypt and into the wilderness and they're given their laws for their nation and they have their adventures and their stories. And, and, and someone over here would might be like, well, Paul, those are great stories for you, but we don't care about your kings and we don't care about your people because they're not our history. Why is this important? And Paul explains in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning with verse 1. He says, I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, let me stop there real quick and say this, when he says, dear brothers and sisters, I think we all understand this, but let me be basic. He doesn't mean that those were his literal, like his mother's other kids, right? Brothers and sisters referred to a common connection of people, even other races of people, other nations of people, 
who had a commonhood of faith in Christ. You see, when we come to faith in Christ and, and we accept God's love through Jesus Christ, when we accept that, we are, we're not just the creation of God anymore. We are the children of God through faith in Christ. He's not only our maker, he's our heavenly father. And, and as people of faith, we are brothers and sisters. And Paul says, regardless of your background, brothers and sisters through faith in Christ. I, w- I don't want you to forget something about our ancestors. When he says our ancestors, he doesn't mean all of their direct ancestors. He means those of us who are Jewish in your audience, including me who's writing to you. When you look at our story, that's not your story, you'll be, you'll be remiss to look past some things about our ancestors that you should know, even though you might not feel attached. Because I'm talking about our ancestors that were in the wilderness a long time ago. And that's where we left off in our story in the Hebrew Scriptures the Jews wandering through the wilderness out of slavery. And Paul's going to talk about them for a few minutes here. In verse 2, in verse 1 still, he says, All of them were guided by a cloud that moved ahead of them. And all of them walked through the sea on dry ground. We told those stories back on January 15th. If you missed that, you can catch it online. We told those stories, so that, that should be familiar to some of us. It's a miracle how God guided them. Verse number 2 says that in the cloud and in the sea all of them were baptized as followers of Moses. And if you don't understand this part, the next few verses get very confusing. When he says they were baptized as followers of Moses, he does not refer to a literal physical baptism. They didn't stop in the middle of the sea and say, time out, walls of water, cloud above them, I baptize you, da, da, da. It wasn't what was going on. He's referring to what they physically went through was a picture of our spiritual journey. It's all symbolic. You know, you can look at coming out of Egypt and slavery as coming free from the bondage of sin. Crossing the Red Sea can picture the salvation come to Jesus experience. Baptism. And and there's so much of what happens in their journeys through the wilderness that picture the Christian life that's symbolic. And Paul is saying, just like they kind of came out of where they were and were now following Moses into their freedom. It's like a baptism that we have experienced when we've been baptized today as followers of Jesus Christ. So that can get really confusing if you're like, I read that part, where were they baptized? It's a, he's making a spiritual comparison to real past events. Do you understand what I'm saying? And that's important as we keep reading. Verse, verse three, he says, all of them ate the same spiritual food. Now, we'll get to that story a different week, but they were given some miraculous food to feed them throughout their journeys. I got news for us all. It was not just spiritual food in the sense of non-physical. That's not what that means. They weren't like getting like nothing saying, there's nothing to eat, but I feel full somehow. They were given real food, real miracle food, real taste that physically nourished them. What he's saying is that physical food was given by God the same way that Jesus pictures to us that he is the bread of life. He says they also drank from the same spiritual water. Again, it wasn't, it wasn't just ethereal, spiritual. That, in that sense, it was physical water for a physically hungry people. But like that, it was a picture of Christ. They, they drank from the spiritual rock that traveled with them, which is an interesting story we'll tell another time. And that rock was Christ. Now, in other words, as Jesus is the bread of life, or he is the water of life, that if you drink from him, you'll never thirst again. All of these things they went through, Paul is saying, are, are, are symbolically important to our faith journey today. And then he says in verse 5, yet God was not pleased with most of them. 
and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now you're like, whoa, what happened there? Well, read the story, it's pretty crazy. But um, it didn't happen all at once. It wasn't like the wilderness full of bodies. But what happened was for about four decades, they wandered out here until the entire generation of people that made it out of slavery eventually died off over those several decades. And afterwards, um, the, their children who grew up were ready to go move into the next place. And so most of them never saw I mean, it says most of them, it means most of them. Like two of them from that generation actually went into the promised land. The rest of it was their children who grew up and were ready. Why? And now we start getting into what Paul is trying to say to us today. Verse number six. He says, these things happened as a warning to us. So this idea, that phrase right there, we're gonna see him circle back to that in just a few verses, so hang with me. He says, so that we would not crave evil things as they did. And boy, did they ever crave some evil things. We're going to see some stories another time. Or worship idols, as some of them did. I mean, last week we mentioned that when they were given the Ten Commandments, the first one was, have no other gods but me. They didn't wait, like, a month and a half even before they broke that one. I mean, the idolatry that ran rampant, and it was a big deal because in putting God first, it was not just an ego trip for God. It was him saying, if you'll look to me as your Lord, I will help you be the kind of person you're supposed to be. I will have a relationship that I made you for, and you'll be a better, you, if you're right vertically, you'll be right horizontally. We, we mentioned, talked about that last week. And so he said, if you follow other gods, some of the pagan practices were terrible. Child sacrifice, all sorts of sick things. Keep me at the center. And they immediately broke that one and went into idolatry. They celebrated with feasting and drinking and they indulged in pagan revelry. It was a terrible time. And Paul goes on to say, we must not engage in sexual immorality as some of them did, causing 23,000 of them to die in one day. And if that's a shocking thing to read, you have to read the story for yourself. We'll get to that another time as well here, come up, upcoming. But it was just a very insane season of their travels where they just went off the rails and brought all sorts of, 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 of mess into their nation. He goes on in verse 9, nor should we put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and then they died from snake bites. Now that sounds horrifying. I'm telling you the story afterwards without, without looking at the backstory first, because some of you may have never read the backstory. We'll get there. But, but if that seems all like a bit much, I just want to say this to you. Read Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and when you read the story of these people who came out of slavery and were with Moses through God's mighty very visible, miraculous hands, seeing things that you and I have never seen with our lives to provide for them. And to see how absolutely insane they were. You would, they would not survive if I was in charge. They just wouldn't. You need to read the story for yourself if you don't believe that. They would not make it. I mean, they would have been long gone a lot earlier than anything else. It's a, it's a maddening story. And I'm sure, and I'm, look, we'd be no better. But it's, it's a crazy story. And so, if you read these couple of verses and don't understand it all in context, it might seem like, wow, you know, that's, that's, some, that's some tough stuff there. Oh my goodness, these people were crazy. And it got difficult as you read the story, which we will do down the road. And then he goes on to say this. He says, don't grumble, as some of them did. And they were destroyed by the angel of death. You want to know about grumbling. And, and don't, don't minimize how much you hate grumbling. 
Mom and dad, you have kids? You like that grumbling stuff, right? Uh, you all have family, you got a spouse, okay? You got a neighbors or coworkers or employees work for you. Boy, no one likes the grumblers. And these, these people, I mean, we can spend four weeks talking about all the times they grumbled and not scratch the surface. Murmuring and complaining as if, as if nothing good ever happened to them to manipulate their circumstances. Very pleasant. It was a rough story. Now, there's a lot of context to those verses that we just read. And just for the sake of anyone who does not know the stories, I want to say this to you. There's a lot of good things in those stories, too. There's some victories. There's some awesome moments. There's some cool things that happened. But there's a lot of bad stuff that Paul, it's not me, Paul points out all the negatives in those verses right there. And there's a lot of negatives to point out. But it wasn't all negative. It was, it was just a lot of stuff. But a lot of it was negative in, indeed. And, and, and we don't have time to get into it all today, although we will. But Paul now makes a key observation and this is where I want to go with our remaining time. That Paul makes an observation that is as relevant for you and me today as it was for his Corinthian audience 2,000 years ago. In verse 11, he says, these things happen to them as examples for us. They were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. By end of the age, he means, in other words, the most current time so far. Like as time has gone, we're the most current people. Now that's 2,000 years ago, so we're now at the end of the age so far right now, today, right? He says throughout all of time, how old it was, at Paul's writing, these stories were 1,500 years old. Now they're 3,500 years old. And Paul's saying that throughout time, these things that you read about in those stories in the Hebrew scriptures, in the, in the stories of the laws of Moses, the, 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 the journeys of Israel, they are examples. And he's giving us another reason why even if it's not your background or your nation or your, it's just the backstory of your savior. But it's not your kingdom, not your kings, not your holidays. You don't do Sukkot. You don't do other holidays like that. You, uh, it's not your laws. It's not your nation. But, but that story, above all other things, serves as a purpose of being an example. Because what Paul was saying is, we should learn from the past. And boy, this is a big idea. And this is a bigger idea than the Hebrew scriptures. This is a big idea in all parts of our lives, to learn from the past. Whether it's from ancient Israel 3,500 years ago, or the early church 2,000 years ago, or the, our own country's history 250 years ago, or 50 years ago, or your family's history two generations ago, or what happened to your uh, people you love or know in your neighborhood or in your family last week. We should learn. <clears throat> because here's, here's the thing. That's the whole point. What's the old saying? Those who fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. Yeah. And it's true. That because sometimes we get such tunnel vision of my life and my things right now, we don't step back to the macro picture. But anyone who steps back and takes a macro look at how things go, people make decisions and they turn out good. People make decisions, they turn out bad. That person went this way, it went, th it, it turned out. When we take the macro look, it'll help us in our marriages, it'll help us in our parenting, it'll help us in our careers, it'll help us in our country, it'll help us in our financial portfolios. Everything happens better when we step back from the edge and look at the big macro picture. And how decisions lead from one end to another and learn from the past. And Paul is saying, hey guys, I know you're not all Jewish, but listen, 
There's examples here. Learn from the past. And that's the big point. They used to say experience is the best teacher. And I, I get that. I, it makes sense. In other words, if I'm going to train someone to, to drive a forklift, I can make them watch, read a book, or I can get them on a forklift and they'll figure it out. You know, Experience is the most effective teacher usually. That's why they say it's the best teacher. But in another way, if we're being honest, someone else's experience is the best teacher. Like watch a YouTube video on something and watch how they, how they messed it up or did it, got it right before you try it yourself or something. I don't know. I mean, I'll tell you, I'd much rather learn from someone else's trial and error. And, and so learn from the past. That's what Paul is saying here. No matter what your background or your nationality is, no matter what your belief system is, we would all do wise to learn from who came before us. And then Paul adds this wise observation in verse 12. He says, if you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. And this goes back to the question I asked you at the beginning. Have you ever watched other people mess up and you're like, what in the world? Have you ever been tempted to think, fools these days, <laughs> I would never. Be careful when you run around in the world and say, I would never. I can't tell you how many people who've ever said the words, I would never, about a number of topics, ate those words later on. But when it comes to our behaviors or people messing up and saying, I would never do that kind of thing. I would never behave that way. I would never go down that path. Be careful. First of all, if you haven't gone on that path yet in your life, it's not because we're better. We should all remember to sometimes say, but, but, but by the grace of God, go I. Different circumstances, different upbringing, different events in my life, who knows what could have happened to me along the way. Different triggers, different, different um, situation in my home, who knows what I may have done. And who knows what the future might hold that I don't foresee. So, so Paul says, listen, as you learn from the past, don't learn arrogantly. As you learn from others, from the ancient past, from ancient Israel to more relatively recent, don't learn with arrogance. Don't let that puff you up and say, I'm better than that. I feel better about myself. Because you might be careful not to fall. In other words, he's saying, be careful when you feel strong. I'll never slip. I've got this. Ooh, be careful. Or if I could put it this way, when you can't see any way that you can fall, you're likely blind to what's going to trip you up. It's an important space of our life when we say, I need to learn from the past and realize that I'm just as prone to doing the same things I've learned. And I want to learn. I want to be better for it. But I better be careful and not arrogant. Prayerful and not proud. But as we learn from the past, yes, be careful when you feel strong, but also be confident when you feel weak. Some of you are like, man, I don't feel arrogant. I get scared. Like, I have no hope. Like, I cannot. I can't make it. In fact, it's more specific than that. I have struggles, and I can't overcome my own struggles. I am a wreck. I can't do it. I am weak. And Paul's going to finish this topic by addressing your sense of ability to say, I can't make it. I can't do any better. He says in verse 13, the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. This is a big deal. Because he says when you face your story in life, that's why we should learn from the past. Otherwise, if some of us live in a little tunnel vision, we're going to convince ourselves that all of our struggles and all of our situations are so unique. Now, I want to say something to you. You are unique. Your struggles are not. Okay, so I saw a shirt one time in a store 
that was probably not funny. It was probably a serious t-shirt that everyone's supposed to be inspired by. It was probably like really cool and you're going to hear like, oh, that's so cool. But it, I have a weird funny bone and it made me laugh. The shirt was full of a bunch of stick figures all over it and one stick figure, like hundreds of stick figures all over on the shirt. One stick figure kind of stood out and just slightly highlighted amongst all the other twins to it. And, and, and the shirt said, you're unique, just like everybody else. And I don't know why that made me laugh. I'm like, yeah, it's funny, you know, you're unique. Hey, you are unique. And so is everybody else. I mean, how do you understand that? What I'm saying is you have unique qualities and you're a unique mixture. But everyone is. And there are, while we're unique, there are some things about us that are not unique. So, for example, you're unique, but your temptations are not unique. They, not every person has your exact same temptation. But other people in this great big world have your temptations. Other, not everyone has your exact struggles, but some people have your struggles. Some people have your strengths. And we're our own unique mixture, but, but nothing particularly that we face is unfaced before. And if we don't look at the bigger picture and learn, we're going to convince ourselves that we are the exception to the rule. I can't. My circumstances dictate that my, I, everyone else should, should, should you know, learn from this, but I'm outside, of the, I'm outside of the boundaries. I'm an exception because I'm unique in what I'm going through. Not, not, not really. There's always been someone who's had to navigate those waters like you. Your circumstances have come before. And, and so as you navigate things, you'll say, well, I'm just not strong enough. I'm uniquely in a position where I can't overcome the thing I'm struggling with because of this reason and that reason. But, but our struggles are not that unique. And Paul is saying, he's saying, you're not a mutant. There are other mutants just like you, if you are. Like, if you feel like a mutant in life, like, oh, man, you know, if everyone knew this about me, no one would want to know, even know me anymore. The only reason you think that you're the only one that's that way is because all the other people who are the same way aren't saying it either. Okay? Because you're not a mutant. Temptations are the same for all of us. They come in different disguises. And you are not defined by your temptations. Paul continues. He says the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. And this is a big idea that is his whole story about ancient Israel to the people he was writing to, to you and me today. God is faithful. That in other words, whatever you are struggling with, whatever you think is impossible, just step back and realize that you are not beneath humanity and you're not beyond help. You can overcome it no matter what. Not because of you, but because of God. In other words, the secret sauce is that no matter how weak or strong, I feel strong, but I can fall. I feel weak, but I can make it. The secret is that God is faithful. And so be confident when you feel weak. Be, be careful when you feel strong, but be confident when you feel weak. Let's keep reading. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience, and God is faithful he will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. And God's promise in his faithfulness is that there's always a way for you to do better. We might not always want his way out. In other words, God always says it's possible for you to do the right thing in hard circumstances. There's something you're supposed to do, but you say, I just can't. You can. There's always a way. You might not want to, but you can. Or there's something you should not do, but you say, I, I can't help myself. You can. 
You might not want to take the way out, but you can. And even in the ancient Israel story that we were referring to earlier, they didn't do the right thing, but they could have. God was there. He was faithful. And we can learn from that past and decide not to be confident, not to be arrogant, not to be proud when we think we're strong, but not to believe that we can't do any better when we feel weak because God is faithful in our struggles. Your fight against temptation is not determined by your strength or your frailty. It comes down to whether or not you take advantage of the opportunity for victory that God provides through Jesus Christ. So I want us today, as we pivot into the Easter season and return back to this topic later on, I want us to take that to heart today. Here in the 21st century in the West, in the United States of America, in Cedar Lake, Indiana, let's learn from an ancient people 3,500 years ago in the story that we were reading about who were under a unique national covenant with God which they failed to keep but Christ fulfilled before he gave a new covenant. People who were delivered from real literal slavery, supernaturally established as a nation that we can read about in some of the most remarkably preserved historical documents in the world. The next two weeks, we're going to take a break. Next week is Palm Sunday. Then Good Friday, that Friday. And then two weeks from today is Easter Sunday. After Easter, we're going to come back to those old stories in the Hebrew Scriptures. And the reason why I didn't want to just rush past them real fast is because, as Paul said, they're examples to us. Well, how can we learn the examples if we don't take a couple weeks at least to look at them? So we're going to do that. We're going to call it, we're going to take a little mini, a little limited series, if you please. We're going to call it the wander years, okay? So um, that's going to be our conversation, the wander years after Easter for a couple or so few weeks to talk about these examples for our lives so we can learn from the past. But for today, let's learn from the past, amen? Let's learn from the past. Hey, let's be careful when we feel strong. And let's be confident when we feel weak. Because God is faithful no matter what we face, if we just step back and realize that. Or as Paul reminds us elsewhere in his letter to the Philippians, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. You can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. And as we walk out of here today into a new week, putting God at the beginning of your week, thanks for coming to church and making your spiritual step be the first part of a brand new week. That's wonderful. But as you walk into a new week, Learn from the past. And remember that whatever you're facing, that you can do all things through Christ who indwells us as believers with his Holy Spirit and who guides us and who strengthens us. And I hope that you'll avail yourself of his faithfulness today.